0: Good morning, Uh, it's such an encouragement to see you guys here again uh, this morning. Uh, I wanna thank you for making your commitment to uh, dedication to this this body of believers. Uh, It's encouraging to me and I know it's encouraging for a lot of the other men here uh, to be here to grow in relationship and and continue to try to grow in our spiritual walk uh, with each other. So today um, as part three, it's gonna be in response to a question I received uh, regarding the problem of pain. Uh, the problem of evil, the problem of suffering. Uh, it's phrased in a lot of different ways. Uh, it's one of the more ch- most challenging questions probably for the Christian faith and for the um, for the Christian to respond to. Um, but there's actually a lot of good lines of argumentation and ways of thinking about it that can provide a good defense in response to that and hopefully that, uh, it'll help uh, strengthen your faith. Um, and I tend to think of it more of a more of a mystery, as opposed to a problem. Um, It's deep, it's complex, uh, it's a very sensitive question, and it really depends on who's asking the question, how you should respond to it. And once you start getting involved with the problem of evil, the problem of suffering, it opens up doors and paths and a lot of other questions um, that are very deep and meaningful regarding purpose and a lot of other theological issues. Uh, So that's why it's a very difficult um, issue to deal with. But I hope to uh, share with you some of the things I, I've, I've learned along the way. And I'm just going to hit the highlights because people have done entire doctoral theses on these. There are entire books written on the subject. You know, hour-long hour plus uh, YouTube videos. <laughs> all kinds of great things for you guys to go out there and look and, and continue to mm-hmm. learn more because there's obviously a lot here. It's a, it's a very dense uh, topic uh, that's very close to everybody because we all experience suffering. It's something... We can't deny everyone experiences pain and suffering evil at some level. Um, So I'd just like to start out with prayer. Please join me in prayer before we go uh, before the Father. Thank you again so much for this beautiful day that you've made, Lord. Uh, Thank you for your nature, your character, uh, the blessings you've given us. Thank you for the gift of life, Um, joy, peace, your mercy, and grace. Thank you for the evidence that you've provided for us to help strengthen our faith in times of pain and suffering. um, Help us to transform our minds and align them with your truth. Uh, Equip us to be able to share your love with others and encourage them when they're facing trials and pain uh, and the evil of this world. Um, May may our words and the meditation of our hearts uh, be pleasing to you, Lord. Open our hearts and minds and lead us in your truth. Um, We know, Lord, wherever two or three come together in your name, you're with us pray for your favor and your blessing on this time in Jesus' name, amen alright, so as I mentioned before, um, from the last time so the Barnum group said about 30% of, of the younger generation is leaving leaving the faith, leaving the church specifically because of this problem uh, they haven't heard a good answer a good defense, uh, something that's satisfactory um, that answers this problem or this issue for them uh, it's a big barrier to their faith um And people reject God altogether because they can't reconcile how you could have a good, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God with the evil and pain and suffering that they experience or that they see their loved ones experience um, or just watching the news uh, and seeing all the things that go on. Uh, So let's go ahead and uh, dive in on that. Um, So like I said, the the mis... I call it the mystery of evil, uh, as, as well as other other folks, because it's complex. There's no real simple answers, and if you give somebody a simple response to this question, they're probably not going to listen to you, and they're not going to uh, think that you've given any serious thought to the topic, because it, there are no simple answers. Um, I mean, you could say, yeah, we live in a fallen world, or that's just the way it is, or there's sin, but it's it's much more complex than that. So to give an idea what the difference is between a, a problem and a mystery, so figuring out how to land on Mars is a problem, right? It can be solved, there's mathematical equations, Um, there are ways to do it, and and we've done it. So um, problems, you can use checklists, you can use mathematical formulas to solve them, come to a solution, and feel um, like that's adequately been been addressed. A mystery on the other hand, so falling in love is a mystery, right? So there's no checklist you can follow, there's no mathematical equation, or at least there shouldn't be. (laughs) <laughs> if, you, if you tell that to your wife, you, you probably uh, probably won't go well for you. Right? So the problem of evil is it, it's more of a, a mystery because it is a deeply complex issue um, that a lot of people a lot of people struggle with, and I, I did I did as well. Um, and even if you have some of these philosophical logical arguments to back you up, it still doesn't take away the pain or the severity or the intensity. Of suffering, right? Um, <clears throat> but there's also a lot of people whose faith has been bolstered and strengthened through suffering and pain, and we'll, we'll get to that a little bit more. So the uh, first thing is, anytime you're, you're responding to somebody that has this question, you need to figure out who's asking the question, why are they asking the question, and what perspective are they coming from when they're asking that question. So a lot of times people will have baggage that they bring to this question right so they've experienced something or they have a loved one or whatever um, or they just based on principle think it's wrong right so there are probably multiple hidden assumptions unspoken issues that are behind the question that, that's driving it um, so we need to kind of get at that and, and question the questioner right so that's a model that jesus did often is that he questioned the assumption Um, of some of of the people that he interacted with. And we we can use that as a model as we engage with other people and share our faith. Um, Another thought I'd like to bring up is just um, think of it as a spiritual savings account. Wrestling with these ideas, investing the time, uh, thinking about them, discussing them with others, it's, it's 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 like a savings account in a way. You have to make deposits. You have to invest. And if you don't do that, when there's a rainy day, an emergency, the storms of life come and hit you, if you haven't taken the time to wrestle with these these types of questions, when those events happen, it's it's often too late because at that point you are in the pain. And a lot of times some of this stuff will not be very helpful to you while you're actually suffering. Um, and you don't want to be spiritually bankrupt when, when that bad thing happens. Not if it happens, but when it happens. Um. And lastly, uh, any effective apologetic must point to Jesus Christ. So that's a danger with apologetics. Anytime you're getting into a discussion, (laughs) maybe a passionate discussion with somebody, um, if you're just arguing about point for point and trying to win the argument, you're losing. The whole point of any apologetic should be pointing people back to Jesus Christ and their need for a Savior. Alright, so... I borrowed this from Rabbi Zacharias. I've, I've uh, referenced him a few times. He's one of my favorite uh, apologetic um, speakers that's out there. And so um, oftentimes he engages in hostile environments, universities, a lot of athe- atheistic, uh, naturalist, secular humanist type of uh, people bring this question up. And that's why it's important to go to worldview and understand where, the, where somebody's coming from. So he will often ask these people, and if you've heard Rabbi Zacharias talk, he, he's used this example multiple times. But regarding evil and suffering, if you assert that suffering is evil, then you must assume good exists. If you assume that there is good, then you must assume a moral law, a means by which to differentiate between good and evil. If you assume a moral law, then you must posit a moral law giver. But the atheist or naturalist rejects the existence of a moral law giver. So if there's no moral law giver, then there's no moral law. If there's no moral law, there is no good. If there's no good, there's no evil. So what is the question? The question disappears. It's irrelevant. It doesn't make any difference, right? And going back to the, um, the framework that he uses to analyze worldview: origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. You know, it needs to be experientially relevant, coherent. Uh, it needs to have correspondence with reality. So in this case, <clears throat> what's going on here is that if an atheist or a naturalist, secular humanist, asks this question. They're basically borrowing from a different worldview. They're borrowing from the Judeo-Christian worldview to attack it. And in terms of worldview, that's not fair. If you're going to pick and commit to a worldview perspective, you have to stay within your worldview perspective. You can't pick and choose and borrow from somebody else to, to go against a, a different worldview. Um, those are the ground rules. They're rules, all right. Um, now, the other, the other important thing is, like I talked about before. Um, We look at when somebody's asking a question, built into that question is the assumption that that question is relevant and that it matters. So when we talk about the issue of pain or suffering or evil, some people might push back on this point here that uh, why do you have to posit a moral um, law giver? They might concede that you have to. That, yeah, there there may be some sort of absolute or uh, transcendent moral law, but why why do you have to have a moral law giver? And um, I think it's a good point. Rabbi Zachariah says there has to be a moral law giver because inherent within the question of evil or suffering, the question is always about a person, or it's um, coming from a person, and the implicit assumption of that is that. A, that person has inherent value, and that that question, which means that that question is valuable. It's meaningful. It's worth pursuing. It's worth talking about. It's worth investigating. Um, and from the Christian world perspective, you look at the Bible, and God's word, and Christianity actually it provides a lot of information, a lot of insight into suffering. It provides a lot of explanation about suffering because there are other worldviews that actually either deny that evil exists or There's no real basis in the case of, if you don't have a moral law or a God, a transcendent being from which value and good and evil comes from, if you don't have that, then you don't really have a a means to disagree or be upset about evil, the existence of evil. So that's a a problem that they they encounter, is they can't explain morality. And that that kind of goes down to what's called the moral argument. We all have a sense that there's right and wrong. But if if there is no moral law and there's no God, where does that sense of right and wrong come from? And what basis do you have to determine if something is is right or wrong? And from Genesis 26, it says, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And that speaks to the value of every human being being created in the image of God. Life is sacred. And that inherently gives us meaning and purpose and value um, when you have worth, then when you experience pain and suffering, it's worth investigating this kind of question. All right, so we'll go a little further. Um, like I said, it's a very complex uh, issue, uh, but we can kind of break it down into categories. So when somebody talks about evil, a follow-up question is, okay, well, what, what are you talking about? What do you mean when you say evil? So there there's three, three main categories, moral evil, which would be the evil that's caused pain and suffering that's caused by how we treat each other um, or sin. Uh, natural evil would be more of a discussion about natural disasters, earthquakes, tsunamis, tornadoes, um, acts, of, acts of God, uh, things, things that no individual human being could be necessarily held responsible for that event occurring, but still causing pain and suffering. Uh, and then there's supernatural or metaphysical evil, which is evil carried out by Satan, demonic forces, Uh, something of of that nature. All right. Sorry, I um, apologize for my voice. I'm just getting over the flu, so experiencing some of my own suffering while preparing for this message. but. um, the next thing we'll go into is a logical argument against God's existence. So like I said, a lot of people are thinking of faith where this is a barrier to people's belief. Um, and so this is a this is an argument that people will use. So it, the way it's set up um, basically comes from, it, it goes all the way back to a Greek philosopher, Epicurus, um, questioning, you know, how could a good and loving God allow evil? Those things don't, they seem to be contradictory. So the logical argument goes: it's logically impossible for God and suffering to both exist. We know for a fact that suffering exists; therefore, God does not exist. Pretty simple, straightforward. But is that a valid argument? All right. So it comes down to um, assumptions again, and whether or not those assertions are logically inconsistent or not. So. Proposition is that all an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God exists. And then also another assertion is that suffering exists. <laughs> so are they actually logically inconsistent? So these are logically inconsistent statements. So Mitch is currently married, and Mitch is currently a bachelor. Can those both be true at the same time? No. Nope. No. So that's, those are logically inconsistent statements. But, for looking at this logical argument, you have to look at the assumptions that go behind it, and that's, that's kind of where the, the, the magic is, the, the trick is to un- unraveling uh, an answer. So, if God is all-powerful, the assumption is that he can create any world that he wants to, the best of all possible worlds. The world that we're living in is, God must have chosen the best world for us to live in, and this is, everything is set up, um, and he created this world because that's how he wanted to create it, and he can make any world he wants. So that's a, that's an assumption that's built in there. Another assumption is if God is all loving, he wouldn't allow suffering for the creation that he created, that he loves. You know, if he's loving, then why would anyone loving want want or allow? If he's all powerful, why would he allow suffering? So the question is, is are these valid assumptions? Um, and then. The best response, um, in my opinion, I mean, there's there's freedom and liberty, um, and there's a lot of different views out there, um, and that's actually the, what I think is the strength of Christianity, is not that we just have one or two responses to this, but that there, there's a wide array of valid, reasonable, logically worked out explanations um, to, the, to the issues of pain and suffering. But the one that I think makes a lot of sense is the, um, when you consider the concept of free will. So... When you look at free will, it's logically impossible for God to force people to choose to do good or evil. It's contradictory. If I I forced my wife to love me, at that point, it's not love anymore. Because she would not freely choose. If somebody is coerced or or forced to do something, they're not choosing it, and love just doesn't work that way. Uh, We're not robots, and if, if somebody was forced to say, I love you, would that feel like love to you? wouldn't feel like love to me. And if you read the Bible, um, you know, the greatest is faith, hope, and love. So love is a supreme ethic. And humans must have free will in order to experience love. But at the same time, by allowing love to occur, it also allows the possibility for someone to choose not to love, which opens the door to choose to hate. Or do things that are not loving. So James uh, four seventeen says, if anyone knows then the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So when you're thinking about this, God exists out of space and time and matter. He's immaterial. He's eternal. He's always existed, and he's known everything that all the details of everything that's going to happen. Part of his Omniscience is knowing all the details of everything that's going to happen in history from the beginning to the end. Um, and he knew, before he created the world, that he was going to create you, for a purpose. And he knew all the pain and suffering that you were going to go through. You and everyone else. He knows all that. And he still decided to create you. It's a similar decision as parents, when we decide to have children. Um, we know bringing children into this world, they're going to experience pain. They're going to experience suffering. We still do it. Why? That's the argument a lot of people make for ending life. It's like, well, there's, there's too much pain and suffering. Just end it. But I, I think we could all probably acknowledge or agree to some degree that it's worth it. The opportunity to experience life, to grow, to learn, to serve, to worship God, it's worth it. We're also commanded to be fruitful and multiply. It, but, um, so James 4 says, Anyone who knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it is sin. So this goes towards a recognition, a consciousness, a mind, understanding, and having the ability to choose. I could do this or I could do that. I can choose to do good or I can choose to do bad. We all experience that, right, at at multiple levels. I mean, I can choose whether or not to have another slice of bacon or not. I can choose what to wear. I can choose who I hang out with. I can choose how to separate my time. I can choose whether to steal something from somebody. I can choose to lie. You know, we have that freedom. We have that autonomy. It's not complete freedom and, and liberty in terms of I can't do anything I want. I can't defy the laws of gravity. I can't fly without an airplane. Um, but we have, a, we have the ability to make choices and I think most people can kind of understand that and see that um, so we're all aware of, uh, of, of suffering and evil that goes on in the world so history is full of horrific suffering um, the ironic thing is if you ask you know, the random person on the street where are you going to go after you die Right. so again, this is getting at that destiny question of a world view. A lot of people will give you the response, well, I think I'm going to go to heaven. You start you ask them why. Well, because I'm a good person. Oh, really, you're a good person. I'm based on what standard? I'm better than that guy. I haven't haven't killed anybody. Um, So we're exposed, and we see a lot of horrific suffering, unbelievable evil that's been uh, done throughout history. Uh, Just this, earlier this week, the 27th of January was uh, Holocaust Remembrance Day, right? Um, It's a great example of of the incredible evil that humans are capable of committing on one another. Um, Then you have natural disasters, things like the tsunami, 2004, killed over 230,000 people in one day. Uh, You have earthquakes in Haiti and New Zealand. You have AIDS, you have fluke, pandemics, you've got bubonic plague, there's a lot of different creative ways for us to die, a lot of different ways for us to experience pain. Uh, there's a wide spectrum of pain, uh, from stubbing your toe and paper cuts to chronic diseases, loss of loved ones, wars. Um, so suffering is a, is a real thing, and it's definitely something we struggle with. Going back to our framework um, and the, the lot this logical question about evil. So the assumption we're getting back to is: can any good come from evil? Or come from suffering, sorry. So going to the dentist. Right? Who likes to go to the dentist? <laughs> Who thinks, yeah, that's a good time. Sign me up. I want to go every week. Where, where's where's Dave? Where's <laughs> Dave? <He's not> <laughs> <here>. <laughs> <laughs> Vaccines, right? So the vaccines, the intent of the vaccine is to be able to build up your immune system, but it's going to take some temporary pain. You're going to have to take that shot, that needle in your your arm. Um, Exercise, you know, supposedly running is really good for you. But I would say that I think most of us would agree that there's some suffering involved. You continue to run long enough, and it's it's going to start to hurt, start to feel pain. But it makes you better, it makes you healthier. So there's greater good that comes out of short-term potential suffering. Touching a stove. Spiritual growth. Um, so, one of the things I've observed and, and I've noticed in my own life if everything's going fine, if I'm not experiencing any pain, everything's good, I'm probably not going to change what I'm doing. Right? We're comfortable. But what happens when you experience pain? It's an opportunity for growth, it's an opportunity to learn, it's an opportunity to maybe change the way you do it. Maybe, maybe you're doing bad, bad things, making bad decisions. Or some natural negative consequences to poor decision-making. So these are just a few examples, but we can see that it's possible for there to be a greater good as a result of suffering. Um, a great book to read if you haven't read it regarding this topic is uh, The Problem of Pain by C.S. Lewis. And in there, it's, it, it's, it's awesome the way he says this. So he says, The human spirit will not even begin to try to surrender self-will as long as it seems to be well with it. Now, error and sin both have this property. That the deeper they are and the less their victim suspects their existence, they're masked evil. Pain is unmasked, unmistakable evil. Every man knows that something is wrong when he's being hurt. Pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So that's pretty f- profound to think about. To think that pain and suffering exists to get our attention. Help us realize we're not self-sufficient. To humble us. To help us realize we need God. We need things outside of ourselves. And there's a lot of different reasons why we could possibly be experiencing pain, and that's, that's some of the difficulty. Is it because we made a bad choice? Is it because we did something wrong? You look at Job and his, his friends that are trying to help him out, right? The belief is You know, he was a righteous man. But his friends, in no uncertain terms, tell him, you're being punished. You know, your family's been destroyed. Your property's been destroyed. Your wife hates you, tells you to kill yourself. All this stuff is happening because you did something wrong. But we see in Job, that's not necessarily true, right? So Job kind of gets fed fed up with it and, and, you know, cries out to God. He's lost his family. He's lost his property. He lost his health. And then God finally actually responds to Job, but he doesn't ever answer his question. He just gives him a list of 64 questions back to back, basically putting Job in his place. Um, Job, let me see, Job 38. So verse 4, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Who stretched a line upon it? He goes on. Have you commanded the morning since your days began? Caused the dawn to place it to know its place? You know. He goes on and on and on. He even asking, you know, what he knows about dinosaurs and stuff like that. Um, and all that kind of goes towards um, implicit. Another implicit assumption here is that. If there were a good reason for pain and suffering, we would know it. Why? Why do we think that we're at a point where we should be able to know and determine and understand all the pain and suffering that goes on in this world? Isaiah 55 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So going back to vaccinations. uh, We just got a new puppy. So we take the puppy to the vet. Um, Is it going to do me any good to explain to the dog, all right, they're going to put a needle in you, but it's to make sure that you don't get a really bad disease later on. I can be a really effective communicator. I can be a great order and have wonderful communication skills. Is that going to do any good? Is the dog going to understand why I took the dog to the vet to get poked in the, in the leg. No. No. Because that dog doesn't have the reasoning capability. The dog was not created in the image of God. We are. But how are we described? What animal does the Bible choose to describe us as in terms of our relationship to Jesus Christ? Sheep. Has anyone ever been around sheep? Worked with sheep? They're not the brightest creatures, right? They will die because they trip and fall, and they don't know how to get up. They will wander off a cliff because they're not paying attention to what they're doing. Sheep are dumb. And that's what the Bible says about us. We're sheep, and Jesus is the good shepherd. Now, I think that analogy is a little bit off because I think we're closer to sheep than human beings are to God. God is infinitely more powerful, more amazing, more incredible than we can even imagine. We can't even begin to understand how awesome he is. That's that's an analogy to help people kind of understand, okay, yeah, God is way, way, way above us. So there are questions that we'll have. We're not going to have all the answers. Not on the side of heaven. I've got a lot of questions for God when I get there. And I'm sure you do, too. And I, I, believe, I believe we'll have answers when we, when we get there. But until then, uh, we do have evidence to, be, to, have, to, have, to have our faith. So basically, even athe- atheistic philosophers, as far as the large, logical argument goes, it fails. It falls to because the assumptions that I talked about are, are, are not valid. So now what they've done is they've moved to the probability argument. So the, the way that this argument goes is well there's so much evil in the world there's so much pointless suffering that the existence of a good and all all powerful loving god is highly unlikely right so that's kind of what they move to it's like well okay we, we won't say that god doesn't exist but it's really unlikely based on all the evil so here's a couple ways to think about it so we're limited in our uh, our time our space our intelligence our capacity our perspective we don't have the big picture. We, have you ever heard of the butterfly effect? You know, where a small, small change can have huge impacts later on. So that can happen in human history millions of times every day. Small changes, small pain, small suffering can impact and change the decisions you make. How we treat each other, what we end up doing. Um, and God knows all of those options. He knows everything. That's what omniscience means. So it's possible that in order to achieve God's purpose, he may have to allow a great deal of suffering along the way. And some of that suffering, maybe not all of it, but a lot of that suffering actually does have purpose or meaning, whether or not we know what that purpose is or not. And the probability argument, probabilities are only as accurate as your assumptions that go into it. All right, so like I said, one of the most effective things I have found is um, the cumulative arguments is one of the most compelling reasons for faith in Christianity. You have the moral argument. You have the ontological argument. The fine-tuning argument. The fine-tuning of the universe. So going back to that whole worldview thing, the, the origin. <coughs> the origin question. So Genesis 1-1. God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke them into existence. So John Polkinghorne is an astrophysicist um, in, uh, in England, uh, a renowned physicist, and he He makes the argument that the initial picoseconds of the universe, the initial expansion and contraction, is so precise and the margin of error so small that the probability of it working out and not collapsing, the likelihood of that happening is equivalent to hitting a one-inch square target 20 million light years away and hitting it bullseye. The chances of it happening accidentally, random chance, next impossible. And that goes for all kinds of things. Um, You want to talk about? incredible probabilities. Do a study on the prophecies of Jesus Christ in his life. Things totally outside his control that he fulfilled in scripture hundreds of years before he was born. Also, just just look at the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the historical evidence, from people that weren't Christians, from Jewish historians, Josephus, Tacitus, um, um, Roman historians, Greek historians. There's a lot of extra-biblical evidence saying that Jesus was a person, that he did die, and that there were claims that he rose from the dead, and hundreds of people saw him. And then you look at uh, things like Cold Case Christianity by uh, J. Warner Wallace, and he, he analyzes it as a cold case detective, and he said he came to faith because of the evidence of the Gospels. The things like the, the, the details in the Gospel accounts, the eyewitness accounts, and the way that they line up. There, there's a ton there if you guys are interested. It's pretty awesome. Um, the other argument, irreducible complexity. Information in DNA. The amount of information, the, the coding that's involved in every living creature, shows and it, it provides evidence of a of a intelligence that brought all that together that makes makes everything work. Um, just had a baby boy and all the miracles that have to happen in order for that to for life to begin, and it just it happens all the time. The persistence of life. If you look at the naturalistic evolutionary explanation, time plus matter plus chance. Well, if somebody's coming from that perspective, just ask them, so how did life begin? Where did did life come from? So the most recent argument that a lot of uh, neo-Darwinian evolutionists will ascribe to is that, well, life here on Earth was seeded from another planet. Okay. So all you've done is move the problem. So where did that life come from? Oh, we'll we'll push the problem off so far that we can't actually prove it one way or another. So tell me that that's not religion. Tell me that that's not a huge leap of faith that people have to take to go down that road. So the cumulative arguments, all the different lines of argumentation put together, once you start looking at all these different areas and how they, they bring new life, new perspective to the Bible and reinforce the truth and the validity and the reliability of it, Provides an incredibly strong and compelling case. So, like I said, you're not always going to have answers to all your questions. There's still gonna be doubts. But I think an important study is to understand and look at the character and nature of God. Who is God? What does he say? What has he done? What prophecies have been made? What has been fulfilled? Do we have evidence for that? And who is who is God really? So, for example, a lot of people say, well, Allah is just another name for God. Mm, I would disagree with that. So I agree that Allah is the word for God in Islam. But the nature and character of God in Islam is a significantly different concept being than the triune Christian God described in the Bible. You never hear Muslims talk about the Trinity, and they, they don't believe that Jesus... That God would ever come down to this world. They have a much more fatalistic view. Allah is not described as love, and the question is, if, if Allah was loving, who was Allah loving before creation? Go back to Genesis 1:26 that I, I mentioned earlier. It says, "Let us create man in our own image." Right there, it tells you that there is a plurality of, of beings in the triune identity of God. God, did, God didn't need us. He didn't need to create us to worship him because he was in community already. He was already love in his very essence and being and nature of who he is. And the other question is, if, if these aren't sufficient, like I said, there are a lot of other explanations and a lot of other things you could go into. Um, but at any time, if belief in God becomes difficult, the tendency is to turn away. But the question is, to what? What other worldview you find more sufficient, it has better argument, better evidence, more more consistency, more relevance to your life. It doesn't exist. There's nowhere else to go. Christianity is the best hope out there. Just like it says in John six, verse sixty seven through sixty-nine. So this is right after Jesus basically taught, you know, that you need to eat my body and drink my blood, right? And all of like, whoa, I'm out of here. So Jesus, after that, said to the 12, Do you want to go away away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed. And we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. If you need some other encouragement, 1 John 3.13 is a favorite. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. So you can expect suffering. And that matches our experience, right? So there's pain and suffering in this world. And there are people out there that talk about, well, you become a Christian, you know, life's going to be great, health, wealth, and prosperity. Well, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what Jesus said. He said expect suffering, accept trials. Expect expect bad things to happen. John 16:33. I've told you this thing so that you may know, that, that you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation. Not You might have tribulation. You will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And that's the, that's the hope that we can have. I hold on to the fact I'm not going to know all the answers. I'm not, I'm not going to get every answer to every question I've got in life. But I do believe in the credibility of the Bible. I believe in the character and nature of God. And we're told in Revelation God's going to make everything right. Romans 8.28 God, God works good for all the um, good for all the people that, uh, that love him. And in Revelation 21, 4, it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall appear mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. The former things have passed away. So ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, if you start, if you think about the concept of eternity and how long that is relative to our life here on earth, it's a blip. Blip on the screen, it's over, right? Uh, 80 or maybe 100 years if you're lucky. So the pain and suffering is as horrific and terrible as it is. It's temporary. Our citizenship is not for this earth. We don't belong here. We weren't made for earth. We were made for heaven. We're children and heirs of God to live with him forever. So this short time that we have here on earth is very important. It's very critical in terms of what happens afterwards. And that, I hope, is a motivation for you to share the gospel like we're commanded to with other people. Because we all have an expiration date. We don't know when our last day is going to be. None of us do. There's a guy that I work with. He just died in a crash a few days ago. That could happen to anybody driving down the highway. And like I said, there's so many ways to die (laughs) in life. It's it's very unpredictable. You do not have control over most things that happen. You you control how you respond. But a lot of what goes on in your life, you, you don't have any control. And that's the frustrating part, because there's pain and suffering, and we don't know why. But we can trust in Jesus Christ. We can trust in God, because I know that he is good.